Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, throwing at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and we were afraid to ask them. Afternoon, and welcome. I wonder what you're like when you go to a museum or an art gallery. Uh, if you're like me, you rush through it as fast as you can so that you can get to the exit, uh, or the coffee shop at the end, not the gift shop so much, but get a quick look in at everything and uh, try and get out the other end. Because usually I'm there when somebody else has taken me there or I've gone to accompany someone or I've given in and decided <laughs> to go and visit. And I actually like the experience mostly, as long as it's fairly quick. Um, but this week I'm going to um, entertain something that's not my strength, given that this is the live art week. I'm not going to do any live art, mind you, but to just turn our attention to some, some art and art appreciation. As we looked at last week, last couple of weeks, some philosophy. This week's a bit of an art week. And uh, here you have here a couple of works of art to appreciate uh, and see. You might be ready to skip on and move on already. Uh, <laughs> 
I thought here's, here's some contrasting pieces of art, or photography is art. Um, who here resonates with this bit of artwork? Some, hardly anyone. Uh, <laughs> who resonates here with this as a piece of artwork? Yes, and uh, quite a few more. Who doesn't resonate with either of them? Thanks. <laughs> Most of the people. Appreciating such things is all about noticing. Noticing what's there. Noticing what's not there, perhaps. Learning to see what is there to be seen. The painter paints and doesn't paint everything in a scene. A painter chooses to paint some things, highlights other things, downplay other things. Why have they done that? A photographer doesn't choose to photograph everything that they possibly can, although some people do, uh, but they, they select and go, I want this in my image and compose it very carefully. And the more careful they are, the more thoughtful they are, the more there is to discover and understand. Mark's gospel is a bit like that. So in the reading today, we've seen that Jesus comes down the mountain, or well, a bit before it, uh, Jesus comes down off the mountain with his disciples, and we're shown a scene. What are we meant to notice in this scene? Uh, this is the convulsing and foaming at the mouth of this, this boy. Is that what we're meant to look at that and try and... What's, what's the mouth all about? And convulsing and foaming, we notice that. Uh, scribes and the disciples of Jesus who didn't go up the mountain, they're arguing together. Are we meant to be thinking this is a conflict situation? and looking at the argument. Is it the child? Is it something about this father and has a, who has a son? Jesus says something about a faithless generation. There's lots of details that happen as you read through any narrative and through Mark's narrative especially. But Mark doesn't include everything. Lots of things that Jesus did that just aren't included in Mark's gospel in all the gospels, we're told. Why is the bits that are included, included? And because Mark is a narrative, or the Gospels are narrative, you don't get direct teaching like you do later on in the New Testament from the, like the Apostle Paul or Peter, where they say very firm statements. They say, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus will come again. You don't get that sort of statement of argument in the Gospels, which is narrative. But it doesn't mean that Mark's not teaching us and wanting us to see certain things, just like a painter or a photographer wants us to see certain things. And it actually does, some of us who are frustrated, we just want to tell us what he's saying about this. We get frustrated with it, but Narrative actually does things for us that the teaching books don't do. Narratives slow you down. You can read through it quickly, or you can run through a museum quickly, or an art gallery, but they slow you down. Such so you think, why is this happening? It's not immediately clear to me exactly what's happening. They slow you down and make you ask, why? Why is this here? 
Also, with the narrative, you get to see Jesus. You get to see who he is. It's not Paul or Mark telling us who Jesus is, but rather, as we've seen, it's showing who Jesus is by what he does, by what he says. Because we're shown Jesus so that we can trust him. We're shown Jesus so that we can trust him. We are meant to grasp Jesus' mission so that we can follow him. And so, what do you look for? Well, just to cheat a little bit, I've given you here, uh, just, I'm not going to get you a copy down, we'll go through it all with you, but just to show you that there is some real structure to Mark's Gospel. Now that we've got halfway through it, uh, we've reached chapter 9, which is there near the back of that sheet, um, I think that's meant to be. Uh, it tells you something about what we've been looking at. The first part of the Gospel, just look at that, so that middle row, is very much identifying Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the authoritative king. And so when, Martha, when Peter says, you are the Christ, that's the turning point to be able to say, yes, the next bit is ready to happen. Now that you know he's the Christ, what sort of Christ is he? And what's he going to do? Well, he's a suffering Christ. And so, initially, the right response to Jesus is to repent and believe. And now, when you know who he is, then you follow. And so the last part of Mark's Gospel is a lot on discipleship, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, you only get that because you actually study the book of Mark. So uh, I'll get rid of it because I don't actually really want you to um, write that down. But what are we, how does what we're looking at today fit into what we've seen, where we're up to? Jesus comes down the mountain after he's been identified as the Christ and his glorious power has been revealed. Mark says, what do I put in next? How about I just chuck in a healing? Uh, that'll be good. Uh, I'll just chuck in some conflict between the disciples and the scribes. Why have we got this bit here? Well, actually, in these last chapters, the second half, there's hardly any healings or miracles of Jesus. They're all in the first part. So why does he put one here? Well, we need to see the context of what's happening and be up to speed with that. Before we do go any further, though, um, I want to lead us in prayer. Prayer is asking God, asking God to help us, and of course this is God speaking to us. We need help to understand it, and for me to be able to explain it well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. Thanks for the what we've been able to see so far this semester, uh, and last semester, from Mark's Gospel. Thank you that you speak to us. Help us to understand your word, who Jesus is, and know how to follow him. Amen. So you've got to put yourself in the context of what's been happening. And so what's the context? Well, we know that Jesus has been teaching his disciples. And you see that in 8.31 and 9.31 at the end of our passage. So we should be thinking Jesus is teaching his disciples, looking for things that he's teaching. It's about his death and rising. And it's repeated throughout this whole second half of Mark's Gospel, 8.31, 9.9, 9.30. He's focusing his teaching 
on his death and rising again, and also the future glory and power which is revealed, which we saw back in chapter 9, verse 1 and 9, 7. So that Jesus, following Jesus means following the glorious king who has all power, but only through suffering and death to self that we might live for him which we saw last week in chapter 8, verse 34. Okay. So we come down the mountain after such significant moments and context. What's next? There's a great crowd watching the scribes argue with the rest of Jesus' disciples about a man's son who has an evil spirit. The man tells Jesus that his disciples lacked strength, is actually the word that's there at the end of verse 18. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. They, they didn't have the strength to do it. It might remind you that earlier on, Jesus gave his disciples authority to cast out demons. But now, they're not strong enough to do that. Why is that? Well, Jesus doesn't like this situation. And so you see there in verse 19... And he answered them, Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? This is an unbearable situation for Jesus. His disciples are fighting with the scribes. They can't cast out this demon that they're supposed to be able to cast out. And there's a man who... um, uh, And the situation with, with a man with his son... Who has a demon? This is unbearable. And Jesus says there's unfaithfulness. That's what the generate oh faithless generation. He's surrounded by unfaithfulness. No one is believing in Jesus. And if you go back to chapter one, verse fifteen, right at the very beginning of Mark's gospel and Jesus' ministry, Jesus says, like with great clarity and and power and vision. He says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Believe is faith. Put your faith in. Trust, it's the same word. Repent and believe the gospel. Great, the message is going out. And people are going to repent and believe. And they are, and they are, and they are. And here we are in verse chapter 9. And Jesus says, it's a faithless generation. It's a non-believing generation. How long are we going to have to put up with this? They know the message. Well, it only underlines what's going to happen next. Jesus says, bring bring him to me, verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy. And then he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. So this evil spirit springs into action. And Jesus says to the father, or asks him, how long has this been happening to him? Jesus doesn't heal this boy straight off. He wants a bit of a case history. How long has this been happening for Jesus as this boy is convulsing right there in front of him, in fits right there in front of him? And the man says... You can imagine, like, well, from childhood. Uh, what else? Well, it, it casts him into the fire. It 
uh, cast him into the water, it's trying to destroy him, often. And it's like he's a bit frantic. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if I can, well, all things are possible for those who believe. It's like, yeah, well, come on, Jesus. Why is he drawing this out? Is it, it's a little lesson in faith and belief from Jesus. Well, this kid is in torment on the ground. All you need is faith. And all things are possible, says Jesus. Or you just need to be able to believe, have faith. Really? Is that true? Can I bake the most delicious cake in the world if I just believe firmly that I can? No, surely. Or maybe I just don't have enough faith. Oh, hang on, maybe I could. Could I fly to the moon on this 50th anniversary of flying to the moon just by wanting to and having faith that I can act? What is Jesus saying here? Well, I'll give you half a minute with one or two around about you um, to chat with each other. This is a hard question, so everyone's on a level playing field. What do you think Jesus means? How can this? How can he say this? Have a chat with those around give out your answers here and now. Um, I do hope actually that we'll have some time for some questions uh, at the end of this talk. Uh, so if you do, if there are questions flowing out of this, then please um, do ask them if we do get some time. Faith, now just to let you in on the words that are used, um, in English we have four words, actually more than four words, that all are translated from the one biblical Greek word, New, Test New Testament word, they get one word for the verb and the noun. We have lots of words. So faith, trust, belief, rely, depend, all come from the same, in, in the Bible, have the same word, the Greek word. There are some other words that, that work with it, but that's all the same word. So, but we, we have a, um, uh, we have faith, as a, um, as a verb uh, and trust as a verb but, um, and, and believe as a verb um, but we also have different words for our nouns so just be aware that they're the same thing 
faith always has an object. There's nothing biblical about that. It's just always true. You don't just have faith. You have faith in something. Uh, but faith in what? Well, it depends on what you're expecting the thing to do. See, do you have faith in the chair that you're sitting on? That it will propel you to your next lecture at half past one? Um, see, I just threw that bit in there to, to <laughs> complicate things. I don't think that's a misplaced faith if you did have that faith. Uh, I've been here ten years, these chairs have been here about 10 years and they've never moved. Um, that's a misplaced faith. Do you have faith that the chair will hold you up? That's a good thing to have faith in. It's faith in an object or a person for a particular purpose. See, do you trust Jesus? Well, trust him as the object of faith that he'll do what? Trust him that he'll get me through uni without any failing degrees, without any failing subjects, an HD degree. Is that a good thing to trust Jesus to do, that he wants to do? Do you trust Jesus that he'll heal you of all your diseases and troubles right now? Just have faith and you believe. And all things are possible. Well, maybe we'll come back to that. But if you're a little bit tired of this excursus on faith, um, so is the boy's father. He just jumps in to Jesus and says, immediately, uh, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. This cry of, of the father. He just wants Jesus to act. Believe. Uh, sorry, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus sees the crowd. And the crowd is coming. Verse 25. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. The boy goes into a terrible convulsive fit. Much more than everything that happened before. Such that he's like a corpse. It's the word for corpse, dead body. And the people who have gathered are saying, he is dead. But Jesus, verse 27, took him by the hand and raised him. And he arose. They're the same word. We get the two different words here in English. Lift, lifted up and he arose. It's, and raising him, he, ro he rose. He was dead, apparently, but he's been raised. What's Mark getting us to think? Here is the one who's been talking about dying and rising. 
can you trust that Jesus has the power to raise and rise? Can you trust that Jesus has the power to deal with, the strength to deal with evil and death? And so when it comes to dealing with evil and death, we've been shown that Jesus has the power to do it. The disciples don't have the power. In fact, there's no one in existence who has the power to deal with evil and death. Mark 7, we were told that our hearts generate evil. We can only ever work from a base of producing evil. All people everywhere throughout history have always experienced death. There is no one who has power over evil and death except Jesus. Will you trust Jesus who has come to deal with evil and death? Will you trust Jesus who has the power over evil and death to raise the dead to life? Well, do you trust or do you doubt? The father he has doubt and he cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. He wasn't convinced that Jesus could do what he wanted, but he knew enough about Jesus that Jesus perhaps could help. He knew far less than the disciples knew, but knew enough to take Jesus at his word and to take the son to Jesus. The disciples, by contrast, didn't trust Jesus. They didn't believe what Jesus had taught them that he must die and be raised. Remember the context that we're in. Jesus is teaching his disciples about following him. And so down in verse 30, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask. The disciples don't understand. The man with all his doubts could see that there was something in Jesus to trust. Remember, trust is all about the object of your faith, not how strong your faith is. This man could see that Jesus had power. It was a weak faith. But he could see that Jesus had a strong power. Remember, it's the object of your faith which is the important thing, not how strong or weak your faith is. It's like catching a plane from Sydney to Melbourne. We've done that on a few occasions. You can always go there. The gate lounge is, is full of people travelling to Melbourne on the plane. Some people are quite comfortable. They do this all the time. They're not even thinking about what's happening. They're just there. Other people are nervous flyers. And they, you can tell, the sweat pouring off them. They're there, gritted teeth, grabbing hold of the seat, tight as anything. Which is a shame, because they're still in the gate lounge. Uh, <laughs> but eventually everyone who's going and gets on the plane gets on the plane, and they're in the seats. Some people are just kicking back and... 
and listening to whatever and doing whatever, switched off to what's happening around them. And other people are frantically searching the aircraft, looking everything that might be wrong or looking outside and, and looking for somebody to do something. We're going to die here. They have a very weak faith in the aeroplane. And they take off. Who gets to Melbourne? The people who are confident in the plane or those who are just really unsure? Well, as long as the plane gets to Melbourne, everyone gets there. See, it's not the strength of your faith that gets you there. It's the thing that you've got your faith in, weak or strong. Jesus says he has power over sin and death and evil. He's the one that will get you through evil, death, to the other side. Will you trust him? Will you trust him despite your worries, despite your concerns, despite your doubts? Last chapter, last week, Jesus said anyone who would follow me must take up his cross and deny himself and follow him. Losing your life for Jesus' sake and for the gospel's sake and you will gain life. Jesus says, trust me. Walk away from life, from gaining life for yourself, from living for yourself. Walk away from that. That's a hard word, wasn't it? It is a hard word. Some of you are dealing with difficult things in life. Your health isn't good. Maybe your mental health isn't good. Within your families and friend networks, there's difficulties. There's perhaps bad health. Perhaps relationships causing you grief. Perhaps universities causing you grief. Perhaps things just aren't really all together. And when Jesus says, follow me, give it all up, you're thinking, I'm just barely holding everything together. And you want me to just give up? You want me to hand my life over to you? You want me to... I'm not thinking straight. I'm not coping with life. We're all on that spectrum somewhere. Let me get life straight. These things worked out. And then I'll follow. Then I can follow fully. But Jesus doesn't put any conditions on that, does he? He says, wherever you are at, trust me. Trust me. As the one who has the whole world in his hands, will you trust him? As the one who has your life in his hands, will you trust him? He knows your anxieties and your turmoils and worries and fears. But he says, follow me, despite all of those things. Through all of those things, follow me. Follow me to death. Give up your life. Because follow me, you will be raised with power. You will be raised from the dead like he is. Do you trust Jesus? And if you trust Jesus, where do you trust him to take you? The disciples needed to learn to trust Jesus. Verse 28. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, 
this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. See, they didn't have the strength, we're told, to cast out this demon because they didn't pray. They wanted strength to subdue evil. They were having a go at it. They wanted it, but they didn't pray. I love this photo. It's a great one, isn't it? It's a real image of strength and power. Whether it's the strength of the waves and the power of nature, natural forces, or whether it's the strength of the lighthouse to be able to withstand the storms and the sea. Well, I could be either of those. The lighthouse or the sea. Which are we meant to look at? Which are we meant to sort of think more about? Well, like when you read about Jesus, you look closely at things. And what do you see in this picture? Actually, when you look closely, you see a guy. In the midst of it all, standing at the door, way down at the bottom of the lighthouse. That's the bit you're supposed to see. He's the one who's put his trust in the lighthouse. In the midst of a storm, in the midst of a raging sea that would kill a boat and everyone on it. See, it's not the power which the disciples seek to have, power over evil, which is the key, which is the thing, but the trust in Jesus who gives power over evil, over death. Will you trust in him? And the activity that shows more than anything, fundamentally, is prayer. Praying to Jesus. Praying for him to act. It's not a religious activity of devotion. It's asking God to act. It's an outworking of trust. Trust that Jesus is dealing with evil, that Jesus is dealing with death and trusting yourself to him. Will you pray? I want to lead us in prayer. Actually, in the words of the boy's father, perhaps something like this. Jesus, I recognise that you are the one who has power to save from death and evil. I want to trust in you. Help my unbelief. I want to pray that. Pray that prayer. It might be one that's just helpful for you to pray. So I'll give you space to pray it in your own head. And then um, we'll have more prayers after that. Let me pray. Jesus, I recognise that you are the one who has power. To save from death and evil. I want to trust in you. Help my unbelief. Amen. Now I pray that prayer because we go through doubts and we really wrestle and struggle with them. Whether we think we're Christian or not or whether wherever we are. And I want to give you the opportunity to be able to respond to that um, maybe after the prayer. 
but just to be put a tick at the bottom of all the boxes, there's no box for this, but underneath the boxes where there is no box, just to say, tick, I've prayed that prayer and actually would like some help and to talk through some of this with someone. But we're going to pray and Michelle. Michelle's going to lead us in prayer. Thank you, Michelle.